Welcome to the Holistic High Performance Podcast with your host, Daniel Christofferson. I am Wendy McKibben Spies. I grew up in the backwoods of Louisiana. One of the stories that people love is um, when I was little, like before I went to school, I used to have a pet elk named Phyllis that I would call and she would come to me every morning. I had goats and all kinds of crazy things and, you know, lived on a swamp with alligators in the backyard and the whole nine yards. Was very lucky and I had parents that believed in education. And so I went to school in Zawali, Louisiana and Hornbeck, kind of right between in a little town called Manny. Um, <laughs> and they realized that was probably not the best place to go to school. And so they moved us to where we had some family and uh, a slightly bigger place. And they instituted magnet schools about that time. Okay. Uh, so I went to one of the first magnet schools actually in the United States. It's a place where they test kids um, and then they kind of pull them up from the whole region into one school. So got really lucky there where I was with kids that were just as geeky and curious as I was. Um, and I think that was probably the foundation of the gift of like, I don't know, agency and power and I don't know, people celebrating each other's nerdiness. I'm still friends actually with most of those people, which is crazy. You know, we were like five years old and my friend Warren is now like a lawyer in San Francisco, right? And he also grew up in this honestly little backwards place. And I don't think he would have been there either. So we were really blessed that way. And we had busing and so it was a lot of sort of people from all over. I mean, I had friends that lived two hours away from where I lived. So um, in that, also knew I just didn't belong in that part of the country. It wasn't kind of what I was looking for. I, I'm highly competitive. I just am. It's in my DNA. I can't help myself. Um, I'm terrible playing board games. Like, yeah, I try to be good with my kids. So what I looked around, I was like, well, I'm pretty good at getting good grades. I mean, it might not mm -hmm. be a thing. It's might not be a career, but I'm pretty good at getting good grades. And in fact, I'm actually pretty good at math. So what am I going to do with that? Well, you know, you grow up in nowhere, you're going to be a doctor. So I'm like, all right, so let me get a book. What are the top schools to go to to be a doctor? All right, that's my target. I mean, it was very methodical, very sort of, okay, I got a goal. How do I manifest that goal? So I would work even in middle school to like two o'clock in the morning, making sure I got all my work done and I did it to the best of my ability and all that good stuff. And I, I ran for every school council and cheerleading and track and field. I mean, I did everything I could possibly do to make sure that I got a slot somewhere in the world. Um, you were pretty driven to get out of there. I was pretty driven to get out there. Yeah. And I also was lucky, honestly, like I had a dad that wasn't the best. Um, and I knew that that was not, you know, I didn't want to be a wife and get trapped. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that I had my own sort of power in the world and and power it comes from many places it comes from sort of independence and independence comes from money and you know when you have no ability to have a job or some sort of savings account like that was actually what i was truly after was freedom 
And so when I did realize that maybe I didn't want to go to med school, and honestly, it was pretty late. I actually had taken the MCATs. I had done all the pre-med. I had like everything. And I was actually working at the med school with a doctor. And he sat me down. Uh, it was like my junior year and was like, hey, look at me. I am preeminent in my field. He was at Stanford, you know, like plastic surgeon, amazing. He's like, I'm single. I'm overweight and I'm in this shitty little office. And he was, it was like a four person office with no windows in the middle of the hospital with four people. Right. And he's like, this is the future that you're looking at. Like, this is the path that you're on. Make sure this is where you want to go. Cause the next eight years of your life, you kind of can't back out of <laughs> like you end up in a lot of debt. And so in eight years, you want to look up and make sure this is where you want to be sitting. Um, and so that was a really huge gift for me. And it was another one of those choice points for you. Exactly. Well, and I also, as a maximizer, so I had taken every class I possibly could. So at Stanford, I, I took anthropology. I was actually an engineering major as well. Um, I took a bunch of art classes, you name it. I also took Japanese because it was like, I'd never been exposed to Japanese. Why the heck not? And so, so I love of learning. Well, it's just, you know, hey, there's so much cool things in the world. Like, uh -huh. why not take advantage of what's there? And I knew I only had four years at Stanford. I was on scholarship. So I'm going to like get my bucks, you know, <laughs> like to maximize my buck. Like, hey, it's, it's one tuition. I don't have to pay per class. So might as well take it all. And then, uh, so I took off time and they had this program and I'd never been overseas. I had never traveled outside the United States. And so they had a program in Japan where I could go there. So I lived in Kyoto for six months and worked at an advertising agency then. And that was right when the web was starting. Okay. And that was my first exposure to sort of this online world. It was the mid nineties and I was kind of honestly a poster for them. It made them cool to have like an American girl there. And so uh, that was the gift I was kind of giving them. I didn't quite realize until I'm older, like, Hey, I was, no wonder they pulled me into every executive meeting. Like it, it gave them status that there was yeah. um, but what I was able to do, which was really cool, fun stuff was like make websites and, and draw pictures of people and do a bunch of graphics. And I was like, Oh my God, they pay you to do this. Like, this is so cool. So my plan was just to take a year off before I went to med school. Cause I like, Oh, well, let me make sure that this isn't the path. And you can defer these sorts of things. So let me let me have the insurance of going to med school. Like, you know, that's that's the big goal, as everyone knows when you grow up in nowhere, is be a doctor. And then I, I took the time off and um, I went and worked at this crazy company called Trilogy, which was a bunch of 25-year-olds that sold enterprise software. And and I got there and I was like, oh my God, like. I can make things that people really want. And actually, they pay me more money <laughs> than they pay doctors. And oh my, and it's way more fun. And I don't have the stress of eight years of medical school and debts and, you know, no control over my life. And I think in the end, it's about, again, control. And if I went down that path and suddenly, you know, there was universal medicine or they didn't need surgeons anymore or that sort of thing, then you your destiny is really narrow. It's like, oh, this software thing is pretty fun. Maybe I'll take another year off. 
and I just never went back. Um, I have other friends that did the opposite. They did software for a couple of years and then went to med school because that was where their soul was. Um, but it turns out like actually building stuff was really cool for me and, and kind of seeing things and fixing problems for people. And so that's uh, when I went and did the whole techie thing. And throughout this, you know, I've always been about, you know, maximizing the world. But part of that is like, my asset is my brain. And the sports and all of that stuff was always about keeping my brain healthy. Okay. Um, And I didn't do it necessarily because like, I thought that was a good path. It was really about service to health. Um, and then it turns out as I was doing it, I was actually kind of good at it. So, and then it actually became kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before it was really just a chore. It was like doing your homework. It was like, oh, okay, okay. I got to go do this 30 minutes of here so I can make sure that, you know, keep my blood pressure down and my, you know, my serotonin high and all that good stuff. And so that's kind of what that pre-med training in there. Like I got to take care of this meat suit that I've got. (laughs) Exactly. The meat suit's got to last for a while. Hopefully, you know, if we can target 70, 80 years, we're doing good, you know, maybe stretch goal a hundred (laughs) years, that kind of thing. Well, I recall you telling me that, you know, when you were 12, that you got a book on yoga. Yeah. Um, and kind of the feelings that went with that sounds like, you know, it was that sense of power and embodiment. So tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. So um, I grew up in a family where um, my parents worked nights. I was a classic mid 80s sort of latchkey kid, kind of had to take care of, and I was the oldest, so take care of the little kids. And so not a really a big opportunity for sort of social engagement outside of the home. And I was about, sort of 12, so going into puberty, starting to be aware of my own presence in the world and realized, you know, and I was a fat kid. I mean, I was chubby. I look back at the pictures and, you know, you're never as chubby as you feel. You know, I got teased a lot. Miss Piggy was definitely a name that folks like to sort of (laughs) give me. And I was like, what can I do about this? I didn't sort of understand and no one had taught me. So I started getting some books about health and fitness and things like that. And amongst those were some books around yoga. And I started and it was something that you could do by yourself. It didn't make a lot of noise. You know, no one could know. And so I do it in my room by myself. And then it like, as all things, you know, you open one door, and then another door opens, and you realize how it makes you feel. And what change it makes in your body, what change it makes in other people around you. And, you know, it was a really good anchor for peace and for sort of beginning your day and all of those sorts of things that you know now as being an older person. There's a style called Ashtanga um, and um, 99% practice, 1% thinking um, is kind of the sort of mantra behind it. And it's Uh really true. It's like you do the act And then all the other stuff kind of comes for free. You don't really have to sort of stress about, oh, am I breathing right? Or, you know, is my, is my thinking right? It just kind of your body magically makes the other stuff happen. And that breakthrough was really, really important for me. And it also keeps you addicted to it, right? In a good way. Because when you don't do it, man, like you're kind of crabby and, you know, your day starts a little off. And so you get all these sort of other sort of cool things around it. And then, 
you know, I, I kept it very, very private. You know, the only person that knew that I was doing this was my teacher because I had gotten the book off of like the scholastic book club sort of thing. And okay. every now and then she'd like check in like, how's it going? As a 12 yeah. year old, I'm just curious, how frequently were you doing this? Was this an everyday thing? Was this, this a- was an everyday thing? Yeah, this was an everyday that, That's thing. a lot of discipline at that age. We're all different and uh-huh. I, I'm good at routines, right? Yeah. That's just, I have practices and habits. I always eat my vegetables before I eat my meat. <laughs> <laughs> so your teacher was the only one that knows you're, you're doing yoga in your bedroom where nobody else can hear you. And um, you're getting all these feelings and sensations and coming into your body. When did that change? When did you become more public about that? Or when did that, you know, as you start meeting other people who were doing yoga? So great question. Um, so that public yoga work didn't happen until I went to college, until I moved to California. So okay. it was many, many years because it was the first time. So we had a student union where they actually had a yoga. So this was a long time ago. California mm-hmm. is way different now, but there was a yoga class. <laughs> and so I would show up and then there were like other people that did it too. And we were from, you know, middle of nowhere, Oregon, or so we started finding these other sort of geeky types that had kind of found this system when we were younger. And similarly, all of us had done it through books in some way. And most still practice, which is also pretty cool. And many of them are engineers and sort of like physical, mental, spatial type people, which is also super interesting. Um, I think, you know, there's this core of who we are. And then like, we all find ourselves in very specific sports of kind of like-minded people. That segued to, so I was also in track and field. So very similar. I did high jump, believe it or not, as small as I am. I did shot put, <laughs> like all these sort of very mechanical, physical um, type sports. And so that was actually my public sort of sporting thing that people knew about. I was a sprinter, believe it or not. But there was also this weird thing. I was thinking about this, like I stopped doing that because I had this belief because everyone does, which is like white men can't jump, white girls can't jump. Uh-huh. It was, I was in a sport that I didn't look like the people around me. And I was like, oh, I'm just here because there was enough spots for me, or maybe mm-hmm. I'm not good enough at it. Like I'm just here taking up space that other people should have. Somehow that and- surprises me. I can't imagine you not being on the podium. Oh, <laughs> I, I eventually was. Um, and that's what was also like shot put of all the things and, and high jump, I actually did pretty well, but it was an interesting sort of, so I tried to find a a sport where I looked and this was obviously you're, you're younger, right? You're, you're trying to fit in, you're Mm -hmm. going through puberty. You want to look trying to find your tribe, your people. Yeah. And you want to look like everyone you want to sort of, I mean, we're humans, so it's all about social assimilation. Um, and so I actually stopped uh, when I went to Stanford, I stopped doing track and field because I was like, I don't look like them. I don't belong on this team. No one ever made me feel like that. I just had this story in my head, yeah. um, which was unfortunate. And then I think finally, by the time I kind of grew up mentally is where I found weightlifting because I was like, you know what? That was a story I told myself that was wrong. Like, actually, you know, I'm a powerful, fast twitch little white girl, and I should go find a sport that's right for me to go do that. And so what age were you and kind of what prompted that? Yeah, I mean, you've so been I was doing yoga much for- older. Yeah, I was in my 30s by then. Okay. 
Yeah. So this was like way long in sort of your, and I think your thirties are about sort of like expanding your sort of presence in the world and kind of realizing your power. Your twenties are like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Your thirties are like, oh, I got this. And then your forties are like, well, maybe I'm not going to conquer the whole world. <laughs> yeah. I, somebody described me once that, you know, up until your, your late twenties, you're busy trying to create your identity and who you are in the world. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to undo that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's good. Because um, we we do we kind of create these systems or these beliefs that like this is who I am or this is what's possible, and they lock us into paths and tracks. And you know, sometimes it's like, oh wait, we have to unlearn that to realize that there are so many more options and that we do have choice in life. Exactly, and and the story that you've told yourself is a choice that you've made. Yeah. Like, and, and acknowledging that that's your choice and your story. It's not something that's some, like, sure, maybe they gave you a story, but you took it as your own identity and you can retell that in some way. Um, so you went and, from being a yeah. yoga practitioner and you've reinvented yourself to becoming a weightlifter. So tell me a little bit about how that started. Um, so it started gradually. It started like one Saturday there was a class, a bunch of other friends were doing it. I mean, it's a classic sort of like, oh, I saw somebody doing it and I wanted to do it too. I remember when I was younger watching Olympics, you know, on TV, like everyone <laughs> else. And I did actually always in the back of my mind, want to know how to do that. I thought it was really cool. And then had actually done a bunch of sort of random bodybuilding style stuff at gyms and gym classes. And even at Stanford, I took a weightlifting class and I thought it would be like this, like cool Olympic weightlifting. It was stupid bodybuilding. I hate to say it, but like, okay. yeah, you know, with those weird equipment that you're like, and I'm like, well, that's not kind of what I wanted. Um, they just didn't have it. And so much and actually I've met a bunch of weightlifters that were way smarter than me that did the same thing with weightlifting that I had done with yoga and I wish I had done that where they got books and they did okay. it in their garage and they just kind of figured it out themselves and good on them um, but I did not do that with the weightlifting and honestly weightlifting looks scarier it looks harder it looks like you would hurt yourself everyone likes to do the clips of all the people dropping the weights on their head I have never done it in a decade I've seen it maybe once anyway. So I can understand now sitting outside, like it looks terrifying. I probably wouldn't have done it as a 12 year old, but mm -hmm. it's actually a super safe sport. But um, anyway, uh, I actually found a class that was doing it. Luckily, California, I mean, man, everyone does everything. <laughs> like, if you want to learn, I don't know, underwater basket weaving, there's some expert here that does that. Yep. It's just true. Um, and so there was a weightlifting group out not far from my house, like maybe only 10 miles. And so they had a Saturday morning class with a PVC pipe and like, like, okay, let's do this. And pretty much the second I did it, they were like, oh my God, you should compete. Like within a month, they're like, you got this. And what it is, is this, this nice balance of it's, it's more or less gymnastics under a bar. And that's kind of what yoga is and what track and field is it's about sort of explosive power very in the moment and kind of understanding where things are but not thinking about it too much too which is i well, think that's, why that's, yeah that's go why ahead that's why it's a practice it is something that you do repetitively over and over again and it's about getting the right sequence down and it's about you know being in your body while you're doing it and you really can't think about it 
body remembers. The body remembers. And so that's why you practice over and over again. And, you know, if you're practicing into good patterns, you get good results. And if you're practicing into bad patterns, eventually over time, something's going to break down. And that's when you start to have problems. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember the first snatch, like I did for reels. And I was like, oh my God, this is honest yoga. I remember that moment. And I've heard weightlifters who've never done yoga, you know, really say, oh, these are super opposite. But then I've also seen quotes from um, weightlifters that were like, I was out on the platform and I lifted the weight. And I don't remember anything because it was like quiet and it was still and the the weight magically lifted up and, and it was effortless. And and then suddenly it was over. And yoga is the same way, right? When you've got everything right, like you said, you're not thinking, your body's just doing. And the only way you're going to get those weight, and that's why I say it's honest yoga, because yoga, you can you can kind of get it off and you can kind of be thinking about what you want for dinner or something somebody nasty said to you or, oh, you said something wrong in a meeting and you're not going to fall over for the most part. But in weightlifting, you're going to drop the weight if you're not like... <laughs> You're not 100% present with what you're doing. Exactly. So then I started like, oh, I want to do this more and more because it really made me in the moment. Like it was a forced meditation in a way that I had never felt before. And I was like, well, it's holding me accountable. And again, it's me like finding these habits. And I think we're all like, all of us who can do this stuff, it's like finding the thing that gets you what you want the most efficient way, right? I was like, oh, Like if I do less yoga, then I can do more weightlifting and that can keep my brain in the right place. Mm. You can find out more about the Holistic High Performance and sign up for our monthly newsletter at holistichighperformance.com. That's holistichighperformance.com. One of the principles I love about yoga is that you're always moving in more than one direction at once. So, you know, if you want to go up, you go down. If you want to go forward, you go back. And the the principle applies to weightlifting too. The same thing with, you know, lifting the bar up over your head. It's like you have to be grounded in your feet and you really have to be connected to the earth. That's a very good point. You're absolutely right. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yeah, it's using the things around you. It's sort of understanding physics. It's finding the length in your system and really doing that. You know, if you do it really well, and you've done it really well because this ability of yours to practice, and you know that kind of, so that's taking you some really interesting places. Can you tell me about some of? So you started competing, and things happen pretty quick. Things happen pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so there's also some fun physics there too, where I actually have a very long torso, very short legs. So I'm, I'm a really good snatcher, just Mm -hmm. the way it works. If you have really long legs and you tend to be a very good jerker. So I found out pretty quickly that like I was in the gym breaking world records with my snatch. And I was like, Oh, you can't do that officially unless you're in front of, you know, all the judges at a world stage with the really tight conditions, they make sure you weigh exactly the right amount and do it within this time and that sort of thing. So I'm like, all right, let's figure this thing out. And, you know, it was an iterative process like anyone goes through where, you know, you go to your first one. And so you have to do the qualifying where mm-hmm. you go to local meet and 
and you learn about like, oh, counting and making sure you're at the right sort of weight at the right time to go out in the right moment. And But it's also, it's not just about you there because it's about the other people you're competing against. And because you have to jump on the way that they move you up, um, you know, with your weight class and you can't go backwards and go back down. So you got to keep moving up. So there's a game there too. There's a super fun chess game there that gets really interesting. Local level, it's very kind to you. Usually they're like, you know, taking care of you. Hey, Wendy, you're out now. Cause you know, uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, let me run. Um, and that sort of thing. And they, they kind of give, like they hold you because it's a community of people who are like-minded. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like if you're competing at the local level, it's about everyone's success. But then you want to take your local heroes and put them up in the world and we're like, we crushed you. And so you kind of get this really interesting team thing that I quite didn't understand until like I, because weightlifting looks like it's an individual sport, but it turns out like there's an East Coast gold weightlifting team and there's hassle free that's over here. And, you know, they're, they're very competitive and you give them points by you mm-hmm. competing better. And so then they're starting to get this nice extra element was like, oh, I have to go because they need my points in this sport. And so that was a really nice element there. But, but then I started sense of community. Na- yeah, a sense of community. And so I started competing national for the community, um, which was fun and cool. And it's super nerve wracking because there's big light. So it's this whole nother level where you're like, you're in this awful outfit and there's these big bright lights and, you know, there's an audience and it's terrible for introverts. And I'm not the most, like I look and like- the emotions are high. There's a lot of energy in those spaces. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You have been there. You have seen it. And even when you're not competing, um, I've done some of the officiating just to kind of help with the community. And it's amazing. Like the athletes are crazy. The coaches are crazy. Even the officials are crazy because nobody wants to screw anything up because that gets back to your chess game. Because, you know, if someone says they want 77 on the bar and somebody puts 78 instead, that could screw up their entire meet and make them lose. Or, you know, if someone says they want 77 and then they've missed the timing of getting 77, it's already at 78, then, you know, they're kind of out at that point. And people all the time will shift their weights around within a game because you'll think you have 10 people in front of you. And so you need to warm up in a way that gets you to the right weight at the right time. But suddenly, if it's a team of people in your that are working together, they can move their weights up. And suddenly, you're only four people out. And maybe you're not warmed up enough to get out on stage at the right time. So when you're training, you actually start practicing that. So when you start off, you know, your first meet, you're like, oh, my God, people are kind of mean here. And, you know, no one wants to share. And, and they just screwed up my warm ups and they just stole my chalk and all kinds of crazy things start happening. And you're like, OK, so my first one, I actually hit the world record. My very first uh, world meet, I was in Copenhagen. But there was a Russian judge that was like, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, what is this? Oh my God, this is real. They hate us. (laughs) (laughs) So there's all these like really crazy sort of moments. So then I went out again and hit it again, but like, wow. So I have to think about that. Like, and it was, yes, my elbow was a little wobbly. No question. I look back, but at the same time, like, it wasn't like I bent it and then hit it. It was just like a little sort of, (laughs) but it was enough that he was like, it's an American. No way. Mm -hmm. 
So what then you do, and you only have world meets like once a year, maybe sometimes twice a year, you'll have a world cup and then the world championships. So you only really have these moments to sort of get your body in shape, to lift these crazy weights. And, and so there's a whole cycle that leads up to that. Cause it's, you know, you're, you're constantly breaking your body down and building it back up. And building so it back up. you have yeah. to find the, find the wave and the rhythm of your training and then coincide that with the meets and then you have to qualify for the meets. And so, yeah. Yeah. And you have to weigh the right amount at the right time. And with women, it's even more interesting because we have these hormonal shifts that, mm -hmm. that cause some difficulties um, and different women behave different ways at different times in their cycle. And there's all kinds of really interesting sort of, and I had no idea when I started because, you know, I was like, Oh, and it got more fun. Cause then I was like, you could, and I practice all the time missing in the back, or sometimes I'll practice big jumps. So in the back is like what they call like when you're not out on stage. Mm -hmm. So when you're practicing on the warm up platforms, as they call it, or um, in your gym, you can practice like taking extra reps before you go out because sometimes people will miss their lifts and then it'll be 10 minutes before you go out and you don't want to get cold because you're already warmed up. Yep. So how do you, you know, manage your adrenaline just right? I remember, and it, it sounds super crazy, but like, you know, we're all a little crazy here <laughs> with you. <laughs> this is this is what we do. Um, yeah. I went to a pharmacy and got caffeine pills. Um, and it took me, I went to like four or five different places because they're like, why would you buy caffeine? It's called coffee. Like, mm -hmm. that's crazy. And it's like, well, because I want to make sure I have exactly the right amount of caffeine at exactly the right time so that I'm peaking, like right when I get out on the platform or right before, because there's like this 30 minute window. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, I'm not as strong as the clean and jerk. So I wanted it actually more for that. And so you're kind of like, once you optimize some of the stuff, then you can start optimizing all this other stuff. Um, and it, you know, and you don't want to encourage like people who are just starting out to do all this crazy stuff. But once you start getting there, it's like this stuff really does matter. I mean, we have friends. It sounds crazy, but that sleep in oxygen like tents and stuff. Oh yeah, there's 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 no there's a whole industry of supporting the people who want to go all the way. And I work with a lot of young athletes in my practice and. You know, it used to be talent took you so far, but now the people who are on the podium have been engineered. And it really is about all of those pieces that you're talking about. Of, you know, you have to manage your diet. You have to manage your sleep levels. You really have to look at all aspects of your life because if you're going to set the goals that you have, because a lot of other people have those goals too, and only one person gets to be at the top of the podium yeah. and everything has to line up. So you have to keep yourself healthy. You can't get injured um, or you have to recover from your injuries quickly. So yeah. all of those pieces play a part. And you have to be honest with yourself about what is possible too. You know, like, you know, very well, I have a, a weird collarbone shoulder thing. Like we all have our things. And so I actually have to be extra sensitive about that and do more work because of that. And the good news is all of it. And I think that's the other thing that you said earlier is like, someone's going to get on the top of the podium might as well be me. And so what are all the things that I need to do? Or it could be you. Like uh -huh. we're all humans. Like even the guy who's, you know, won the 20 times the podium, like he's not that much better than the rest of us, right? Like <laughs> these are like kilos worth of difference. I mean, yeah. there are some outliers like Usain Bolt and whatnot, but, or Phelps, but for the most part, these other sports, like, I mean, this is about discipline. 
And like you said about engineering too, you know, I have a red light in my garage that I turn on right next to my bench when I'm sitting and and cooling off between lifts so that I can get my energy peaked up again. That's right at my shoulders. What do you, so red light therapy is becoming more and more popular. It's actually something we're offering in our new holistic high performance clinic. Uh, What do you find to be the benefits of having that light there? I mean, you train in other gyms without it and then you train in your garage. So what do you, I mean, honestly, and and I might placebo effect is real Mm -hmm. and it's powerful. So even if it's just that, that's good enough for me. But I actually there's a lot of research like, on red light therapy. <laughs> I believe it. And that helps. Like it, yep. I'm okay if it's either one. <laughs> yeah. so, um, but it helps me. It, it actually, I, I feel better. And honestly, it just keeps me warm too. Okay. Um, but I definitely recover faster. There is actually no question. Um, and when I can go to fancy places like yours, the juve lights, especially mm-hmm. on my thighs. Cause that's where a lot of the weightlifting is. Oh my yeah. gosh. It makes such a difference. Like, and that's actually where the, the drugs come in for a lot of the sort of international lifters that do mm-hmm. practice that America's very clean and I'm very mm-hmm. thankful and I wouldn't be practicing the sport if we were doing other practices. Mm-hmm. But um, the reason they do the drugs, it doesn't like, they don't do like make their muscles bigger. All the drugs that they're using are about actually recovery and about mm-hmm. being able to to lift more often and to lift heavier weights. Um, yeah. And so really what that is about is about uh, capacity and training. And so if I can do things that are safe for me, that can help me train more and have a better capacity, then I'm absolutely going to do it. You know, like I have or I strive to get a gram of protein per pound of body weight. That means I hit 70, 80% of that. But if I don't do that, I'm sore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't recover as well. You know, branch chain amino acids, like caffeine, there's all these sorts of things that are safe for us that we can use that can help us do that one more rep. And that one extra rep every single day is going to be the difference between silver and gold. So tell me about some of the other self-care you do. I mean, so self-care for me is those really rhythmic things that we do frequently. It's not the one-offs, but so, you know, it sounds like you're taking your vitamins, you're, you know, monitoring your diet, you've got your red light therapy. What other self-care things do you do? Something that I have to do, and probably a lot of your audience needs to do for themselves is cut ourselves some slack sometimes too. And I think COVID has been about that for me in this new moment of like, I had never taken time off from holding a bar in my hands for more than a week in eight years Mm. before COVID and with stress of that and then job and we all have real lives and, you know, my shoulder wasn't feeling so hot. We're all getting older. I had some weird thing with my toes and I was like, you know what? Like I only have, and I have this really great friend that's like, it's like life is like a pizza. Mm -hmm. and you have only so many slices and you're given slices away every day. It's like, I have to worry about my children getting to school and I have to worry about my boss not yelling at me. And like, we all have these, I have to worry about paying the bills and limited time, energy, attention, and money. And how are you going to allocate it? Exactly. And I looked at my pizza and there were no slices left Mm because COVID was taking a slice, right? There's this Mm -hmm. existential threat and it's like going to the grocery store at the very beginning of that was a real threat to our lives, right? 
Um, and so I, I was, especially at the beginning, sort of where we live, March timeframe, I was like, I'm going to take some time off because I actually need this pizza slice for not losing my mind. <laughs> so that for me was self-care, cutting myself some slack and actually making, because I am such a habitual person and I think a lot of us are. And so actually breaking habits that are even good habits <laughs> like, okay, we're going to break it down and we're going to start over again someday. And we might not. And that's okay. Yeah. Patabi Joyce, the, also the Ashtanga guy, 99% practice. He also has this wonderful thing, which is yoga coming, yoga going. And I was like, you know what? I need to really, truly make myself understand that. I intellectually get it, but I'm actually going to calm my shit on that. Where it's like, you know what? Like, you got to let it go for a little while. Um, it's, everything is in season. And, you know, you kind of, seasons change, you know, your days change, those rhythms change. And so um, it's nice to have consistency, but it's also like, yeah, I'm not Sometimes it's addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's, there's no competitions coming up for any foreseeable future. And yeah. so, yeah. You know, well, what's easy. weird is there are. Um, yeah. And so that's been a little difficult to actually say, you know what, I'm not participating because um, there okay. are, there was actually just uh, master's nationals in Savannah, Georgia last week. Okay. Um, so it's actually making that choice of, you know what, I'm actually going to not be there. I'm not going to sort of and go represent. Okay. And, and that's hard to do. Like, I'm also a, like a pleaser, right? I want to be there and get the points for the people. And I, I have to say no. Um, and that was a good discipline for me to sort of get. And so self-care. Yeah, I sleep. Um, I'm crazy about my sleep. I always have been. I do the weighted blanket thing. I don't do any of the sort of, I've thought about it, but the sort of amethyst sort of grounding, like oh, some people do it under their bed. The biomats or the, yeah. yeah, the actual crystals. Yeah. Some of that stuff, you know, I've thought about it. It's like, it's always like, where's the line? I don't know. Maybe someday I'll get there. But, you know, I have some friends that have them. They seem to feel really great, but. You have your red light. They have their crystal. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so, and I think that was, that's also really helpful for me is like being at Stanford with like the best surgeons in the world. I would go to grand rounds with them and having them admit every 10 minutes that they don't know, <laughs> like that they have some ideas and that it's a practice. And it's like, that helps me. And I think all of you and everyone who's like this geeky is like, there's so many things we don't know about the world. Well, you know, if it doesn't harm us, it doesn't hurt trying and seeing that there's a little bit of benefit there. And so I think that's kind of been my attitude about all of this stuff. It's like, I'll keep an open mind. Like, one of my teachers, where most stuff comes from anyway. Yeah. yeah. One of my teachers said, you know, you plant it and you see if it grows corn for you. And it's really that knowledge is what works for you. It is. And so you you do have to experiment. You do have to try things and go, oh, this worked for me. And just because it doesn't work for me doesn't mean that it's not going to work for somebody else. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important of like, hey, what is what is mine? What is what is it that I need? What does my body want? You know, where am I out of balance? What's going to bring me back into balance? My partner describes that he was big into supplements for a long time and there's value in them, but it's more targeted because he's like, you know, we just had expensive pee for a long time. Because <laughs> if your body's not using it, it's just flushing it out. So. Yeah, it's for sure. Yeah. Oh, I take magnesium at night for sure. 
That I cannot live without just because I need it for my muscles not to uh, spasm. Yeah. I'll literally cramp up if I don't take it. So that's an easy one to remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'll be also very honest, changing of job, life circumstances, you know, do change things for everyone. I'm working in a new company now, which makes things way easier in some ways and way harder in other ways. It is a Swedish company. So I am a morning person. I was a morning workout person. And I start meeting some days at 6am. So my morning routine is shot. So trying to sort of reestablish habits in new and different ways has been really difficult for me. Um, so also COVID has been that moment of like, cutting myself some slack on that as well. Um, mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we're going to try this sort of afternoon thing. But I give so much all day that by the time three, four o'clock gets up. <laughs> but I'm trying. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So I want to come back to, because we mm -hmm. talked about you getting on the world stage and you had oh. this opportunity to set a record and the judges said no, but you did eventually go on to set a number yeah. of records. So can you tell me about that? Sure. Um, so there was a while there where I went through this practice of like, I'm going to do every event that I can. Because one of the things I wasn't good at was uh, managing stage. It was like, okay, I can lift the weights, but then the adrenaline would be weird. Or I would get really nervous before going out there. My timing was off. And it's like, how do you fix that? Well, you fix that by practice. And how do you practice? Well, you actually go to events. Because sure, you can try to fake it in your gym, but it doesn't really work that way. And so there was a time there, probably four or five years ago, actually probably more than that at this point, where I'd go to... I, I targeted an event a month, which meant I knew I'd probably hit an event every other month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> again, it's like the 100 grams of protein, you know, you get what you get. And also it helped me cut some slack for myself as well. Because like, you don't have to get gold every time, do your best. And you're also not peaking every time. Mm -hmm. so it's like, hey, it's, it's okay. just part of your training cycle. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not going to cut or, you know, make weight for this one. I'm going to compete whatever I come in at, or, you know, I'm going to lift whatever I lift based on my program for the day and kind of detaching from that sort of making podium all the time, detaching from that always PRing thing. Cause that's something that's really hard to let go of. Mm -hmm. um, and so in that process, one of the things I always wanted to do was Arnold's um, which is like, it's in Ohio. It's literally the original Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of there's 50,000 people there. Uh -huh. if, I don't know post COVID world, if that will ever happen again, but it is one of the craziest places I've ever been because it's totally roided out st like stereotypes and strongmen all the way to like Olympic sports. And it's a beautiful, amazing audience. And they have like TV cameras coming in on you. And it's like wall to wall people. And so it's a really special sort of thing. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go there in this sort of like, we'll see what we can do sort of phase of my life. And I went there and I just crushed. It was just like I was in a really good mental state. So as you mm -hmm. talk about, like, at some point, the sport gets less physical and more mental. And it was like, I'm here to flow. I'm here to enjoy the moment. All the practice has been done. You do what you do. And that's nice to sort of let it go. It's like, you've done all the training. What happens, happens. And so that was really nice. That was actually my first big prize money. They gave away like, it's not a lot, but it was like a thousand bucks. And for weightlifting, that's quite a lot of money. <laughs> um, and so that was a nice moment. And so then it was like, hey, and right at, so that was around February, March is usually when Arnold's are. 
and so that was a nice qualifying. I started getting a couple little sponsors, which so was what did cool. you lift there? You know, what's great too, is I actually don't remember numbers. I've tried to be really good about like, I think you were in the 53, 55 kilogram weight class yeah. and you lift so I, 35, yeah. 40 weight gold medalist. Is that what you have on your profile? Yes. There, I think? Yes. Um, so 53 kilo lifter, which is my body weight. And it's really nice to be an American because then you're not attached to like, it's not, a, oh, is that 120 pounds? Is that a hundred yeah. pounds? I don't know. It's just a, I'm a, I'm a number. I'm a 53. <laughs> yeah. right? um, so then you don't need to worry about the, that sort of thing. And then um, I generally lift like one and a half to, or more body weight, uh, my clean and jerk. And then uh, my world record snatch is, I think it's 68, 69, somewhere around there. And that was um, at the Pan Am Games? And so that was the next sort of big, I want to do the worlds at um, Barcelona. Okay. So that was two years ago, 2018. Um, and in that I wanted to prepare. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to go to Pan Am's first. And that way I can kind of, and I, I wrote out my whole program and I didn't actually peak for Pan Am's, which was super interesting. I, I planned to peak for Barcelona, but then when I got to Pan Am's, just everything was right there too. And um, I got, the world record by a couple kilos, which is really nice. I And what happened there, and I think this is where like folks like you, like communities really matter. There was a really great lifter there. Um, and when you have really good competition, it really brings out the best in you. Cause you're like, oh, they can do it. I can do it too. Or, oh, I have to bring it or I won't win. Um, yeah. And so that was really nice. Um, there was a local lifter from Quebec that was just incredible. And I knew she had a really big clean and jerk. So I really had to bring it, bring it for snatch to make it even, even. And so that was really nice. I got the world record there, um, which was really cool. And I didn't actually even know, and this is also me trying to be detached in my lifting yeah. that I could get it at Pan Am's. I actually thought I had to get it at Worlds. So that was this nice sort of insurance in the bank there. Uh-huh. So I went to Barcelona anyway, uh, just to sort of, Part of the plan. I, I already had it booked. I was already ready to go. Um, and then it was perfect too, actually, because Barcelona was incredibly warm. They had no air conditioning. Like I don't perform, even though I'm from Louisiana, I don't perform super well in the heat. And so I actually didn't get gold in that competition. It also, <laughs> no one wants to hear these things, but the, the other person straight up cheated. She had a corset on underneath her outfit mm. Uh, they called her on it, but then didn't take away any of her lifts. So it was like, oh man. And so I was a head case. I was pissed. I didn't uh-huh. perform well. I mean, I still podiumed, but I didn't get gold. And I, and that's the, other <laughs> the thing that they'll always tell you, like gold is happy. Bronze is happy. Silver is always pissed off. <laughs> Because bronze is like, oh, I got there. Gold is like, yeah, I rock. Silver is like, damn it. <laughs> so close. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I was a little pissed off, I'll be honest. Um, and so it's been uh, a journey sort of on the world stage of like, and we were in Spain and the woman who cheated was Spanish. And so of course they're going to give her more slack. And, and knowing that sports have politics, I think this was my naivety going into sort of these kinds of world stages is, you know, you see it on TV, but you don't truly believe it happens. And then you get in the real world and you're like, Oh my God, this really just happened. Like you straight up 
called a good lift a bad lift. And you straight up called a bad lift a good lift because you are from where you are. I can't believe you just did that. So it's, you know, I'm too old to learn these things, but at the same time, I'm honest. It's a process and a journey. Yeah. Like people, politics is real. So one of the things I've noticed in following you on Instagram is that you've taken up a new hobby during the pandemic. <laughs> yes. So I think all of us love to learn. Uh-huh. And we also have these things that we've dabbled in our whole lives, right? Like most of us who learn, like we've done crazy cooking classes or we sailed a couple times or, and mm-hmm. you always have these, oh, if I had more time, I would do. And so I was trying to figure out something where you know, still staying healthy, still, you know, sort of that mental break, like we talked about, like, I will Mm -hmm. always do something with my body and as we all will to make sure that we have that balance in our lives. But one of the things I had actually, when I was at Stanford, when I was younger, we had no money, my bike had been stolen. And I was like, the only thing they can't steal is rollerblades off of my feet. And so when I was in college, I actually rollerblade from class to class. And it's a very big campus. So uh-huh. you kind of need a bike. So I was like, okay, because I didn't have any money to buy another bike, um, but I could buy some rollerblades. Uh, and, but that's all I did. I used it as like uh-huh. transportation. I never did anything cool with it. I was just like very pragmatic about it. And once COVID hit, you know, everyone started biking, running, like anything they could do that was safe outside. And I was like, you know separate what? from people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Separate from people. I had rollerbladed before, and then I had remembered <laughs> there was this really crazy story from Questlove about Prince and Eddie Murphy. So evidently, Prince was on a show that Questlove was on, and afterwards, he's like, hey, we're going to do an after party, and it's going to be at this time, and bring some cool people. And Questlove's like, oh, my God. I know cool people. This is Prince. Like, how can I meet, you know, and have the right cool people? And so he kind of blew up his whole list and it was like on a Tuesday at like 1 a.m. or something. So none of his friends showed up. And so he goes into this roller rink and like, there's nobody there. So he skates around for a little bit and then he, he leaves. This is Questlove. And I'm sure I'm butchering the story. And then as he's leaving, Eddie Murphy comes in. He's like, no, you need to stay. I, I think I saw Prince in the parking lot. I think he's coming in. You need to stay. And he's like, all right, I'll put my skates back on. Um, and then they started skating and evidently Prince comes out and it's like with Pulp Fiction and they open the, the case and the light shows up. He'd gotten his skates out. And of course they glowed and had sparks uh-huh. on it. And of course, like Prince, like, you know, anyone who is super intense, like of course, he's incredible at roller skating that nobody knew. We've never seen pictures of it. And he's like skating around and sparks everywhere. And I was like, you know what? Like things went south when Prince died. I want to honor Prince by taking up roller skating again. So I have roller skates and roller blades. And the whole world has kind of changed in this area where they kind of do these cool dancing things with both roller skates and roller blades. And so I've been playing with it. And, you know, I fall a few times and... Um, you know, I do miss community. I like, uh-huh. like, oh my God, I would love to go to a roller rink, but they're all closed. And mm-hmm. I want to get a, like a coach for reels and teach me how to do this stuff. So I just get on Instagram and I watch all the cool kids do all the cool tricks. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let me see if I can do that. And like I go practice it and sometimes I'll chicken out and not do it. And sometimes I'll fall, but um, 
yeah, it's been super fun. And, and same thing. I mean, every sport has its sort of nerdy aspect. So I'm like, oh, wheel sizes matter. And oh, the, the what they're made of matters and how big the frame is matters. And so I've been playing with all that stuff. And they do this thing called rockering or they move wheels up and down. I'm like, oh, that makes it a little easier to do twists and turns, but then it's not as stable. Oh, that makes sense. And so um, now, of course, I have two pairs of skates, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, slippery slope. Um, you know, it's not. I'm. I'm never going to be a prince or anything like that. But it's a nice diversion. It's like, oh, it's learning something new. And I'm still practicing yoga. The other thing too that's interesting with the new Instagram world and kind of when I was so I'm a certified teacher. I've taken a bazillion different yoga certifications. You know, hung out with some of those cool kids, and the yoga time that I come from in the world, you don't post pictures. You mm-hmm. don't share that with people. It's not a public thing. It should be a very private thing. And so the community was really trying to deal with that. It's like, well, you do want more people to practice. And when people see cool tricks, mm-hmm. like they they want to practice. But so um, it's been interesting to watch that shift happen in that community. And then, of course, Me Too happened at the same time. And gurus and yoga teachers like all institutions, some are good, some are bad, there's politics everywhere. So that's been interesting to sort of watch change. And so I kind of want rollerblading, roller skating to be where it's a hobby. <laughs> and then I don't know all the people in the politics and don't have to get into all of that sort of like, yeah. yeah. But someday I might compete. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They have competitions, of course, like anything. So I was like, right. oh, we'll see. But um, but I'm I'm picking up the bar again lately, um, which has been fun. What's also been very relieving is you know trust the process, trust the science, trust your body. Of course, I can lift, right? Like you can see this with others, but for yourself, it's like you're way afraid, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I can't do it anymore. Maybe I'm broken. Maybe I've forgotten. Like, maybe I'm not as flexible. Like, all those sorts of fears that you have. So, it takes a while to sort of like, okay, I'm going to be brave and I'm going to pick up the bar. And it's also going to be okay if it's just the bar. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm actually a little stronger than that. I can put a couple of kilos on. And it's like, oh, okay, it's not so bad. And then you start doing the thing that you know you do, which is like, okay, today I'm going to just do 10 and tomorrow I'm going to try to do 11 and then 12. And you slowly start building back up and turns out your body's like a machine and every sport's the same. Mm -hmm. Yes, you get a little older, but if you have the sort of physical memory, it's kind of still there. Um, This is like old man strength. I remember there's this mystery of like, why do you get these old football players that are like fat and they haven't done anything in 20 years and they go into the gym and within three months, they're like ripped and like they look like, you know, moose. They're so uh, Mm -hmm. strong. And the body like is magical that way. We have a lot of stuff we've built in there. Sure, it's maybe deflated or covered in some some layers of otherness, but like there's some core strength there and core sort of tissue that we've built that actually you can kind of depend on for a really long time, which is kind of neat. So I'm in that sort of rebuild phase and trying to find, like you said, balance in the world. And where and I don't know if I'm actually I know I'm not in the right place yet, right? I'm still in this journey of like, okay, how much sort of yoga am I gonna do? How much weightlifting am I gonna do? How much 
sort of skating am I going to do? And then will it shift again when pandemic lifts or if it lifts, right? Like maybe there's another wave of another thing that happens and how do we get through that? And so anyway, yeah. So skating, yeah, fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else come to mind you want to share before we wrap up here? So when are you going to get your roller skates? You know, I actually have a pair of rollerblades from a long time ago. I used to like go rollerblading around Green Lake. But yeah, my podcast is my little baby right now. And once we get the rhythm of that. so What about lifting? What have you been doing lately? A lot of wheelbarrows of soil in the backyard. <laughs> Cinder blocks and concrete things. Yeah, I saw that. Moving that blocks and good. trees and that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah. yeah. It's almost done though. It is. It's gone to sleep for the winter. The grass is growing now. I've got about 700 more bulbs I need to get planted in the backyard and uh, get a couple gates up. But other than that, it's kind of it's in a it's in a good place. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show today, Wendy. It's been really fun chatting with you. And um, good to see you. I hope it's useful. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Holistic High Performance Podcast. You can find all the past episodes of the show by visiting holistichighperformance.com. Please subscribe to the show to listen to future episodes. We release new episodes every Monday and Thursday. This show would not be possible without the help of our team. We wish to thank our executive assistant, Harlow Brummett Dunn, our producer and chief technical officer, Dan Harmon of DH Productions, Our podcast mentor, Angel B. Hartwell, the host and executive producer of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast. Our theme music was composed and arranged by Luca Millard-Kish. On behalf of the whole team, we wish to thank you, our listeners.